If you have your Bibles today, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2, and then I invite you to, to put your little uh, bookmarker in there, Bible marker in there, and then also open to Acts chapter 6. Over the past four weeks now, we have been talking about the next chapter for VLC. We have shared that our purpose as a church is to point people to Jesus because he can rewrite every life story. And we talked the last two weeks about the process by which we want to disciple people as they come into the church and become part of us, as they join the story and now live the story. And today we're going to talk about the second part of living the story, and that is to move into service, service to the church. It was interesting, the elders and I were praying here in the sanctuary yesterday, praying for this service, praying for you, praying for the future of our church, and God called to my mind just how many folks we have sitting in this place today, or maybe they're serving down the hall or out at the pavilion right now, or perhaps they are in the uh, nurseries right now watching our number one-year-olds and two- and three-year-olds and, and four- and five-year-olds. Uh, and then I was, it was brought to my mind even an elder that was there yesterday and trustees that we have on our trustee board and the, the folks that are in charge of our, our men's ministry and our women's ministry so many of these folks came to know Jesus in this church, have been discipled in this church, and are now leading the church. Isn't that cool? Isn't that what the church is supposed to be? And if you're new today, we don't talk so glowingly about Victory Life every single week. We don't think we're the greatest church in the history of the world, but we're bringing these things up today because we want to mention the faithfulness of God, that what God sets out to do through his people, God accomplishes through his people. And what God calls people to do, he will bring to fruition. And the idea that, you know, we prayed with an elder yesterday who was saved and discipled and, and brought up in this church, that's an, that's an incredible testimony to what God has done and his faithfulness. You know, I stand here today, and we had a production here, oh, 20-some years ago, where we were sharing the gospel, and my wife came forward to accept Jesus at this church. You know, she, she didn't go here. But this is where she came for that production and, and, and gave her life to Christ. I mean, this is an, an exciting thing to be part of what God is doing and what he's going to do in the next chapter for us here at Victory Life. Now, we mentioned that the second part of living the story and sort of this five-step process that we want to go on is service. That, and we're going to take that concept right from Acts chapter 2 this morning. Last year, I had the opportunity with my family to go to Disney World for the very first time in my life, all right? 32 years old, and I, I was going to get to go to Disney World. Now, of course, I was telling people that I was so excited for my children. That was a lie. <laughs> I was excited for me. I was looking forward to the experience. And I, I got to tell you, we got down there, and we spent a few days at our resort, and then we were going to go to the Magic Kingdom, and my wife was driving. And as we, we came through the first gates into Disney World, I was excited, and I began to fidget. But then we started turning towards the Magic Kingdom, and we were going into the Magic Kingdom gates, and I literally was sitting in my seat doing this. <laughs> I was so excited. So then we took the tram. You know, you get on the tram, and you, and you go either to the monorail or you go to the, you go to the boat, and we were like, we're getting the experience. We're going to the boat. So then we got on the tram, and then we got on the boat, and as the boat is pulling across the lagoon all the way to the Magic Kingdom, I was getting more and more excited. Then we got our wristbands, and, and we got through the gates, and I have to tell you something. I'm confessing it to you this morning. When I got through the gates of the Magic Kingdom, I forgot that I had a wife and children. <laughs> I, I, Matthew had arrived, and I, 
I walked in there, and I have, I don't know, there's few times in my life that I had ever been so excited, ever. I was just like, no, don't bother me. I'm taking it all in, you know? And I'll tell you, all day that day, I had the best time. I kept looking at Gina, because I can be analytical at times, even cynical at times. And I kept looking at my wife, Gina, I kept saying, Gina, I think that there's something in the water or there's subliminal messages being sent to me. You are having the time of your life. This is the greatest place on earth. And I said, I don't know why I feel this way, but I do. Everybody was so nice. Their whole staff was so unified. Everybody was, was helping us and, and trying to see if, if, they, if they could help us. And, and the unity and the energy in that place was infectious. And I got to tell you, I spent more money that day than I have spent on some of the cars I've bought in my lifetime. That's the truth. That's not hyperbole. I spent more money in one day than on some of the cars that I bought. But I'll tell you, I had an amazing time because the unity and the energy was infectious. Gina and I left that day, and the kids were zonked out. We kept them up till midnight because we're bad, bad and great parents all at the same time. And we were driving away, and Gina just said, boy, doesn't it seem like, you know, that is. They, they say it's the greatest place on earth, and it's like that's the type of joy and excitement you want to have when you walk into a place like that. I, that, that just is incredible. And you know what? I said, yeah, it's true. It, it lived up to its billing, at least for us. And I said, you know, that's so neat. And I, I got to thinking about that. And I thought, you know what? How much greater heaven's going to be than an experience like that? And then I got to thinking even further with my pastoral lenses on. And I thought, that type of unity and that type of energy and that type of joy should be reflected in the church of Jesus Christ. That not, not that we're an amusement park. We can't compete with that, right? Dumbo is not making its way onto our property, you know? The teacups are going to stay in Orlando, but we're not an amusement park, but the energy and the unity and the service to one another and the, the buy-in to what we're doing should be able to match and surpass any earthly thing. That when people would walk in the doors of the true community of Jesus, whether that's a 3833 Hudson Drive or some other locale in Stowe or Falls or Hudson or all over the earth, but that they would come in this place where Jesus resides and his people are, that to them it's the greatest place on earth. What if our unity, what if our service to one another, what if our love was able to operate on that level? You know, Jesus prayed for that. Jesus prayed for that. He prayed in John 17, 21, on the night before he died, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. He also said in John 13, 35, that by this all people will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. That's what Jesus prayed for, that the communities that gather in his name would be so unified, would serve each other so well, would love each other with such intentionality that when people walked in the doors, they would know that they had walked in a special place, a place where the Holy Spirit of God would dwell. We mentioned that the fourth step of, of our discipleship process and part of living the story is service to one another within the church. For those of you who, who are, go home today and, and you've got a, a, a children and you've got a spouse, you know that if, if everybody's not serving each other with everything that they have, disunity comes. If someone's giving 75% and somebody else is giving 50%, it's just not going to work. Everybody needs to give 100% all of the time in order for the unity of the household to be maintained. 
And a church is no different. A church is no different. If folks come in the doors with the desire to be served rather than to serve, the church becomes a place of disunity and cannot become everything that Jesus prayed for. In the same way, if people come in these doors in order to serve, not to be served, we begin to get closer to the things that Jesus prayed for. And we have the opportunity to become exactly what Jesus wanted us to become. Are you in Acts chapter 2? Let's read the familiar passage that we've been in for the last three weeks. The first Christians, it says in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they'd sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to any as they had need. So there was new priorities that were set for these early Christians. When they believed in the name of Jesus, when they were baptized, and when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, a new community was formed, and that new community had new priorities. And the new priority that they were operating in was service to one another. They wanted to make sure that everyone was taken care of. We mentioned a few weeks ago during the join the story portion that the disciples were able to uh, facilitate 3,000 people wanting to be taught about Jesus and what it meant to be one of his disciples. They were able to welcome them into the homes that they were staying at and share time with them to teach them and create disciples out of them. They were giving of their talent, their ability to, to share who Jesus was and what Jesus was about. They were willing to give their time all over chapter 2, it says, and they were together, and they were together, and they were in one place, and they were fellowshipping, and they were breaking bread. So they were giving their time and their talent. And then the people who are coming into the church, they just want to do something to show that they love Jesus, and they're part of this thing. So what do they do? It says they start selling their goods and possessions and handing them out to any as they have need. They decide that the way that we can practically do something at this moment is to give of our treasure to others. So literally, people were coming into the community and saying, hey, I see some folks who maybe aren't in the same place that I'm at. I see some folks that maybe aren't uh, able to take care of themselves the way that I'm able to take care of myself. So I'll sell my goods and then bring the proceeds. So that means that they were literally plying their trade, making their money at work, and bringing it to the community. Hey, I sold two sacks of grain today. I'm giving that to the church. I'll sell two sacks of grain tomorrow, and I'll take care of my needs that way. And they also sold their possessions. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that you know, at that time in history, depreciation was not nearly what it is today on goods, on possessions. And so they would just sell land. They'd sell items and just bring it to the church. It was a way to practically serve one another. It's incredible that this is the first act of service that the church was able to do that, that was recorded. Yes, the disciples, the apostles, the 12, they're giving their time and their talent by sharing with these people everything that they know about Jesus and how to live righteously now. But then the people are so overwhelmed by what Jesus has done for them. Jesus gets right at the heart of the human sinful condition, which is greed. He goes right for it and says, hey, if you guys are really mine, your new priorities are going to be such that we're going to go right at the heart of where most people stop in their righteousness, and that's going to be their wallet. Isn't that cool? 
So God gets right to the heart of the human condition. I mean, the first thing that our children learn in terms of sin is the word no, right? The first thing a baby learns, they look at their parents when they're doing something they shouldn't have and say no. And therefore, the first sin of most kids is rebellion. The second sin of most kids is greed. You know how they communicate that? Mine. 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 Right? Depending on the kid. Greed is the second one. They don't have to learn that. They just decide, I want that. I want to hold on to that. So here, rebellion is taken care of immediately for these early Christians when they come to Christ. They're going to submit their lives not only to God, but to the church, to the apostles. Secondly, greed is wiped out. They just start bringing their, bringing their goods and possessions and the money and, and giving that away. Now, some of you would be like, well, actually, the second sin that my kids learned was violence. And I know, some of you, especially if you have boys, the second sin was violence, right? Or it was mine and then a punch in the nose. But either way, early on, we learn these sinful habits. And my point in saying all of this is to say that God got to the very center of their being so powerfully that mine no longer became a problem. That's how unified this early church was. Now, is it the chicken or the egg? That's the question. Was their unity brought on because they were doing life together and loved each other so much? Or did they love each other so much doing life together that then unity was formed? And, and I don't know. I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg. And that's why when we talk about living the story, we talk about both of those elements together. Life groups, doing life together, growing together, sharing together, encountering God together, and service is also part of doing life in Christ. And they come together, they intersect, they both matter in a way that they should not be separated, but should be thought of as one thing. Now, I told you that we were going to turn to Acts 6. I'm going to invite you to do that right at this moment because we're going to see that life in service to the church can get complicated. As you're turning to Acts 6, we're going to be reading 1 through 6 of Acts 6. Now, this is still early on, first few months of the greatest church that has ever been, the church that was designed by Christ through his apostles. Now, during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Greek-speaking Christians complained against the Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Christians because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 disciples called together the whole community of disciples and said, it's not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may appoint to this task. While we, for our part, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community. And when they, then, then they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. Say that seven times fast. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So here we have the initial service record of the church, if you will. We have the early Christians who are now engaging in what maybe we could call the first social justice ministry. They didn't have the single parent fair or after school programs or faith and finance or battered women's shelters or prison ministries to minister into. What they did have in the city of Jerusalem as the church is growing day by day as we learn from Acts chapter 2 are widows, uh, folks who were unable to take care of themselves because of the way society was set up. If, if your husband died and you didn't have an older, uh, an older child to take care of your needs, you sort of begged 
And so the church did something that was both practical and biblical. They had all of these proceeds from people selling their goods and selling their possessions, and they decided, we're just going to start feeding people every day, and anybody who, can, who needs some food can come and get it, or we'll deliver it to them, is apparently what was going on. Isn't that cool? I know Harold Hosterman is down the hall, his ears just perked up. He'd love if we just fed people every day. He'd be excited about that. He's going to feed you later. Now, this is what the church is doing, a very practical and a biblical thing. But you know what? As the church grows, problems come, don't they? Can you believe that in the greatest church that has ever been recorded in the scriptures, in the best church that we can even imagine, they had problems? Somebody felt neglected. Can you believe that? Somebody felt left behind. Isn't that crazy? Do you, these are the apostles of Jesus Christ, the 12, the ones who spent all the time with them, and they didn't do church perfectly. Shame on them. I think these people should have left Jerusalem and gone somewhere else, right? And, and made their way into a place where, but no, the, what happens here? It's a biblical and a practical response. And they're able to have a biblical and a practical response, and what did they do? We need more emerging leaders to step up. We need folks who are ready to step into a role of greater responsibility so that the church can continue to be the place of unity and service that God has designed it to be. We can't make any more apostles. There aren't more than 12 who spent every day with Jesus, but we can certainly have some people who step into leadership and take care of the problem that's presenting us. And guess what it says? They chose all of these guys, and the community was pleased because people were ready to step up and step into the perceived problem. And you know what it says? You know what's even better than that, Greg? We're going to have to go ahead of slide and then come back. You know what's great? You know what it says in chapter 6, verse 7? Look at this. The word of God continued to spread, and the number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What did they do? Emerging leaders stepped up and began to serve, and the church was blessed. Isn't that cool? That, that the witness of those people stepping up and stepping into ministry was so important. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, that even the priests, the Sadducees, think about this, for those of you who are theologically inclined, the Sadducees denied the resurrection of the body, they denied an afterlife, and they were instrumental in bringing about the death of Jesus. And they started coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior because the church had emerging leaders ready to step up, ready to step in. Do you know the church could have split right in this moment? The Greek-speaking Christians and the Aramaic-speaking Christians had a moment where they could have broken apart. And instead, because of love and unity and service to one another, the church grew through conflict and became a greater place than it was before. Isn't God cool? Isn't he able to do incredible things even through conflict and upset when people are ready to serve and unify under the name of Jesus Christ? The third thing, as far as their service record, which is really cool, is some of these guys who stepped up to wait on tables were so much more than servers. In fact, the next few chapters of the book of Acts are about Stephen and Philip. And these were guys who made sure that every day those in need had food on their table. 
But Philip and Stephen were not going to be defined by that role. They were firstly disciples of Jesus Christ. They were out preaching the gospel in the streets. They were leading others to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And all of a sudden, we see that the emerging leaders do something in service that's so practical and so biblical by serving those in the community of faith. But they're not going to be defined by their role or by their title. They're going to be defined by being disciples of Jesus Christ. They were empowered. They were full of the Spirit. And it's Philip and Stephen who are preaching in the streets of Jerusalem in the next chapters. They could look at their role and go, oh, that's not very important. Anybody can do the administrative task of feeding people. But that's not how they viewed themselves. They viewed themselves as emerging disciples, ones who could be like the apostles that were teaching them. And they became like the apostles who were teaching them. They didn't say, that role's so little, that role's so puny, that's below me. I can do far more spiritual things. Instead, they did with their best. They did their best with their hands. They did what they could with their feet. But they also did what they could through the Spirit of God, and he used them mightily to do so much more than their role in the church. The heart of Stephen and Philip was in the right place. They didn't have to be anointed with a title to do the work of God. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among, it, among you? Show it by your life and that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. That's the true test of whether or not we're spiritual people, folks that know God with all of our heart. It doesn't have to do with our title or our position. It doesn't have to do with the ministry that we want to be in or the ministry we think we should be in. The question is, whether or not we're living a life of service that people can look at and go, you know what, Jesus lives in them. We, Pastor Spring talked about this being a gymnasium for so many years where we did so much good ministry. We, uh, we had basketball tournaments in here that people came and heard the gospel, dodgeball tournaments in here, people came and heard the gospel, volleyball games in here, people came and heard the gospel, and a robust basketball league for 13 years where children got to come and hear the gospel. Great places of service, wonderful things happened in this place. But you know, none of that wouldn't happen unless some of you earned a PhD in chair moving. <laughs> a PhD, mind you. You have enough credit hours in of stacking chairs and moving them into the lobby and the storage room and the side of this room. Some of you have been crushed by stage pieces to make sure that ministry could take place. What title did you have? What, what, what moment did, in the sun did you receive for moving those chairs or stacking those stage pieces? There was none, except people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Down the hall today, there are 11 to 15 kids in all of our nurseries, and there is either a either an older teenager or adult parents of these kids and they are sweating right now because of the stress and strain of taking care of those children. But they do so today knowing that in here, maybe the parents of those children are hearing the gospel for the very first time or getting built up and encouraged in their faith 
And maybe, just maybe, the lesson that they get to share with those kids today will go down deep into their heart and will be remembered when it's time for them to make a decision to follow Christ. What title do they have? What thanks do they get? Very little, except that people will come to know the Lord and will be discipled because of the service that they render unto the church. You see, there is so much that we can look at in this community and say, you know what, I'd like to be doing that, or I would like to be serving that way, or I, I would like to, and you know what, that's awesome. But the most important thing is that to show our wisdom and maturity, our good life and works done in wisdom and gentleness are seen by all. Not so that, not so that anybody can look and go, wow, look at all those chairs that person stacked. What a beast. No, that's not it. But so others in the faith could look at those chair stackers and say, I want to have that servant's attitude right there. I want to I be like that person. They're not looking for applause. They're not looking for, for, for any kind of accolade. But they know that what we do as a church is so important in the history of the world that we are moving people onto God's agenda for their life and people are being brought to the kingdom of God because of what we're doing and somebody's got to stack the chairs. Praise the Lord for them. Praise the Lord for them. Praise the Lord for them. See, that's the community at its best when we are ready to step up and step in whenever God calls. So let's talk about yours and my service record today. What questions can we ask ourselves to make sure that we are in line with the prayers of Jesus and with the model of the early church? The first question we can ask ourselves is, am I serving my church family? Am I serving within the body? I want to tell you the Bible is a very evangelistically driven book. The nation of Israel was to be a light to the world, a light to the Gentiles. The kingdom of God, Jesus' church, is supposed to be a light to the world to bring people into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But for a book that is so evangelistically driven, there is a ton about making sure that we practically display our love for one another internally. Take care of one another, look after one another, serve one another. We cannot do one without the other. We can't invite the world to come up to the city on a hill unless the city on a hill is fully lit by the love and the unity of Jesus Christ. It has to be. We're going to talk next week about telling the story. We're going to talk about being evangelistically driven, but we have to make sure our household is as it should be. And each one of us has to come with the intention of serving one another with our whole heart. That, according to James, shows our wisdom and our understanding. Are we giving of our time and our talent and our treasure for the church community? If not, we have some work to do. We have some conviction to feel. We have something to move into because we're called to as believers in Jesus Christ. The second question that we can ask ourselves is are we ready to step up? Are we ready to step in? In response to last week's message, it was wonderful. We had multiple people saying, I'm going to step up and I'm going to step in. I might not be leading a life group, but I have been in the faith long enough that I need to get into a life group so I can pour into the lives of others. We heard that multiple times this week, didn't we, Pastor Otto? People calling and saying, you know, how do I, how do I make sure that I'm in the right place to serve the right people? I, we, were, we were overwhelmed by the response 
of folks saying, I just want to do life with other Christians, and I want to make sure that I'm pouring in, even if I don't have the title of leader. Others saying, I'm ready to be a leader someday. How, how do I get to that spot? We've been able to place you with leaders as an emerging leader. It's been awesome this week to see your response. Are you ready to step up? Are you ready to step in? I think just a few weeks ago, I, I, I heard that a man in, in, in our community was discouraged. He just needed somebody to talk to. I was able to call one of you, and I said, hey, we got a man in our church. He's discouraged. He needs somebody to talk to. Go. And the guy said, okay, what's the number? And he went. Are you ready to step in and step up when the time comes so that everybody knows that God loves them and that you love them? And the final question for our unity and our service is the question, am I here for me or for them? Am I here for me or for them? When I walk in these doors, am I here for me or for them? For those of you who are new here, it's okay to be here for you. We want to serve you. We want to love you. We want to bless you. We want to look after you. We want to show you what it means to live a life in Jesus Christ. He's awesome. In the true sense of the word, he's awesome. But for those of you who've been here a while, those of you who would call Victory Life Church your home, are you here for me or for them? You know what? People are going to be there for you when you have your struggle. They're going to be there. They're going to, they're going to come after you. But the attitude that we must come with as the family of God is, can I come in this place to serve or be served? And some days I walk in here and you know what? You guys bless me far more than I bless you. You guys encourage me far more than I could ever encourage you. I might have to preach a sermon and I might have to work as a trustee and I might have to do some things here to make sure this Sunday morning goes well. But I leave here more encouraged than you do. That's the family of God at its best. Here I'm supposed to be serving the word, and you're serving me. That's what happens when everybody comes in that mode. Am I here for them or for me? Ask yourself that question. The church becomes the greatest place on earth when we serve each other with all that we have. That's when we become the greatest place on earth. When we come into this place to serve and not to be served. And we pray that God would give us the unity that Jesus prayed for. In Matthew, or John chapter 17, verse 21. Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. Lord, and you've called each one of us to minister and serve in particular ways. Sometimes they aren't the same, sometimes they change. Sometimes we wonder if anybody's watching or anybody knows what we do or how we give. We can be certain today that you know. We can be certain today that you see. Lord, it's easy today to look back on a church like Victory Life and say, wow, look what the Lord has done. But Lord, you have always had it as part of your will to do your work through your people. Perhaps it better said, wow, look what the Lord has done through his servants. I am blessed today to be part of a church that has a heritage of people who step up and who step in to the work that God has for them to do. 
folks with a servant's heart. And today, I'm not coming down on anybody here. I feel like we are blessed with servants in this place. But today, it might be time just to recalibrate a little bit, to ask ourselves a few questions and say, Lord, what would you have of me? Am I giving up my time and my talent and my treasure? Am I ready to step up and step in whenever I see a need that I can meet? And am I here for me or am I here for them? Can I have everybody who is able stand to your feet right now? And as the band comes, I'm going to ask that you just join hands with the person in the aisle next to you. And today, as a community, we are just going to pray as Jesus prayed. That he would bring unity, that he would bring a sense of service and love into this place, that he would use each one of us to serve him in the way that he's called us to serve. And as an act of our faith, say, Lord, we expect good things as we step up and step in to what you've called for us to do. Would you bow your heads today and agree with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. The strength of a church is not in its preaching. The strength of a church is not in its music. The strength of a church is not in its programs. The strength of a church is in its people. People who are set apart for service to God, who come in to the house of God to serve those that you have called your own. I thank you for those assembled in this room today. I thank you for those who are up the hill serving us right now. And I thank you for those down the hall who are serving in our nurseries and who are teaching our children to serve. Lord, we are a blessed people. I pray, Lord, that you would unify us under your banner today, that you would energize us once more for service unto you, that each one of us would come here each time we enter these doors, come on this property with the idea that we are going to serve and love the way that you desired for us to serve and to love. And I pray, Lord, that all people would know that we are your disciples because of our love for one another. We pray these things today in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Amen.